This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This week, May 2nd to May 8th, is National Mental Health Week, and this year's theme is Get Loud. The idea is to talk to a friend, a coworker, or the government about mental health. And just to give you an idea of some of the numbers on this, it's estimated that mental health affects one in five of us. And one thing that certainly means I don't know of any family that doesn't have at least one person who is affected by a mental health issue. And there is a stigma surrounding this. So if you want to talk about it now, give us a call at 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Fight back at zoomer.ca or Twitter at fight back Libby. And joining me in the studio is Dr. Angela Golas from CAMH. She's a psychiatrist and she's now uh, doing additional training in geriatric psychiatry. And the burden of mental illness goes up as we age. What are some of the things that happen, Dr. Golas? Thanks for having me and thanks for highlighting this as a key issue because it is so critical for this population. So essentially, let me just back up a step. So about one out of every four people in society at large has a mental illness. And these don't go away as we age, they continue as we age. And then as you get to the over age 60 population, these, these, this mental illness is compounded by additional physical problems as well. So people start to have problems with falls as they get older and more infirm. People start to have difficulties with medications. Other medical problems cause up, arise, so they start to need medications to treat depression, anxiety, in addition to heart disease, in addition to other uh, say problems with their breathing. So, so how, sorry, you said something that tweaked me. How, yeah. is, how is a fall related to mental illness? So the, it's, it's, it's very intertwined. And this is wherein lies the complexity of getting older. Because we don't just get older in a vacuum, right? And this whole notion that our brain is separated from our body and they exist in a vacuum is completely outmoded. We know that as our bodies change, our brains change as well. So when we start to be put on more medications, we're at increased risk of falls as we become a little more, more infirm. Well, absolutely. And the, the medications and the interactions can make you foggy. Right. And when people, there people who've lived completely healthy lives, um, up to half of people who've lived completely healthy lives after the age of 50 and 60 will develop a mental illness later in life. And what are the most common? Is it depression or what? Yeah. So depression, up to 20% of people have depression. And we also see anxiety disorders, uh, substance abuse and addictions. And a huge growing area, of course, are the dementias. So uh, about 12% of uh, people over the age of 60s will start to develop dementias. And that translates to about 750,000 people in Canada right now. And this is, we're going to bankrupt ourselves unless we start to address the problem of dementia. 
So, for example, we need a dementia strategy. We don't have one. We're one of the only countries that does not have right, one. right. And when you look at how the rates are increasing, so in the states, the CDC estimates that one in every sixty seconds someone is diagnosed with a dementia. And by 2050, unless we do something, that's going to change to one every 33 seconds. And in healthcare dollars spent, right now the Americans are spending about $200 billion just treating dementias alone. And that's estimated to increase to over a trillion dollars by 2050. And is, so, that, is that just a, a factor of the fact that we're, the, you know, the biggest risk factor for dementia is getting older and as a society we're getting older? I'm so glad you mentioned that because actually what we're starting to do at CAMH is look at what is it exactly that's happening that's causing people to get dementia in the first place, which loops us right back to our discussion around mental illness. So by virtue of having a, a, a depressive illness in midlife will in itself double one's risk for developing a dementia later in life. So if you're depressed, uh, not as a young person, but in midlife... You, you double your risk of developing a dementia. And the, there was a recent article in JAMA Psychiatry that showed this also applies to people with schizophrenia. And we are, are, are also starting to look at what is it we are doing differently? What is it we need to do differently to lower these risks? Because what we think is happening is when someone gets depression, they're actually damaging their brain. So by the time they're actually developing dementia, we're, trying to, we're starting to treat a brain that's already damaged. So our research at CAMH is looking at what can we do differently to prevent that transition from having depression to getting cognitive impairment to then getting a dementia. So that's where we're working on right now at finding treatments. That, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. So for example, you know, the brain... The brain has amazing powers of regrowth and regeneration that we're only now starting to appreciate. So I liken it to very much like a plant. If you take your plant, your house plant, and you put it in a dark room, it's going to lose its leaves, it's going to lose its foliage, right? You put that back out in the sun, give it water, give it nutrition, and the leaves will regrow. And the brain is very much the same. So in fact, we're starting to recognize that we can do things in terms of research and in terms of treatments that can help the brain regrow. And we, it's a big word. It's called neuroplasticity. Oh, I've heard that word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a call. We've got Ed in Toronto. Hi, Ed. Yeah, I agree with pretty well everything she says there. Uh, but also, uh, many people uh, don't have the uh, depth of knowledge to realize that when you're dealing with people with dementia, uh, their moods change within minutes. They may, uh, they may be very resistant to getting dressed or to having something to eat or uh, whatever, and it's very time-consuming on the person that deals with them. Do you, do you have a family member with dementia? Have I've you gone through two. Two. And what, were they your parents? Uh, one was uh, a sister, and uh, another was uh, someone very close. Okay. And uh, I had uh, responsibility for uh, complete care almost. So that's why I've been uh, hammering at things like the SIU where they keep on saying giving more training. Well, more training means you need to really work with these people 24 hours a day to really find out how difficult it is and how the mood changes and how this uh, 
disease is um, very hard to deal with. It's also there are issues of caregivers, Doctor Golis, and their mental health uh, can. Oh be... yeah, that's that's without without question. Uh, the caregiver could wind up being the person that's depressed and uh, uh, ready to. Do- doctor Doctor Golis wants to answer you. Ed, Ed, I thank you so much for calling and bringing this up. But mm-hmm. also, there's another thing I've been urging. Uh, Frontline officers should not. We're, be okay, we're talking person. about mental yeah, health. No, let let the, the let the doctor answer your question, Ed. Ed, uh, actually, I want to thank you for bringing up this point because what you're describing is something we call the behavior and psychological symptoms of dementia, which are the. It's so true that one of the biggest burdens of dementia are the symptoms that go with it. So the anxiety, the depression, the agitation even the aggression that occurs. And that is what burns out families, is trying to take care of their loved one while they're going through these different changes associated with dementia. And then, of course, when families can no longer care for them, they're transitioned to nursing homes where we've often heard in the media about inappropriate use of, say, antipsychotic medication associated with the use of, uh, with managing these symptoms. So, in fact, I just wanted to speak to something we're doing very innovatively at CAMH, which is, targeting our treatments in a standardized approach to minimize the use of medications and to help families and caregivers manage the symptoms using behaviors to the best we can. Because we know that people have a hard time expressing themselves when they have impairment of their cognition. So what we're trying to do is help caregivers answer to these problems without using medications. So for instance, in our inpatient unit, we developed a standardized protocol of care that involves, that involves targeting the behavioral symptoms without medication. And then with, uh, with that comes a further treatment using medications if we need to, and then only using those medicines for which we have evidence. And as a result, in the inpatient unit, we found a 40% reduction in falls, and at most patients were at, uh, on one or less medications. So the b- caregiver burnout is an enormous issue, and thank you for raising that. Okay, we're going to have to take a quick break. I'm going to give the numbers out again before we go for our break. 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We're talking about National Mental Health Week and also mental health challenges experienced by people as we age. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am here with Dr. Angela Golis, a psychiatrist who is doing a specialty in geriatric psychiatry. We're talking about National Mental Health Week, and this year's theme is Get Loud. And I have a first here on the telephone because I have a caller from Minnesota, Jane in Minnesota. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. I have to tell you, I used to live in Minnesota many, many years ago. I was a reporter for Channel 5 Eyewitness News. Oh, (laughs) Oh, that's that's a coincidence. (laughs) Okay, well, Jane, what's your question? Um... I was listening to the doctor about um, depression and, and dementia. Yep. And um, I'm sorry, but I really have to take offense about the way she was talking about depression. 
Uh, um, in terms of that it d- damages the brain? Uh, no, in terms that um, it, she made it sound like people would uh, almost go out and, and get depression like they would go out and, and buy a drink and, and um, you know, it was like their fault that they would get depression. Oh, I don't, I don't think so, Dr. Dr. Golis, would you clarify what oh, you meant? Oh, for heaven's sakes. Uh, sorry if, if that came across as, as an implication for you. Absolutely not. I think um, it, there's, a, it's, there's so much suffering that occurs when one is undergoing a, a depression. And we're working very hard to try and um, find natural ways to and evidence-based ways to help people when they are feeling depressed because it can be such a crippling, overwhelmingly um, debilitating uh, place to be. And it can be very hard for people on the outside to know what it's like when one is going through a depression. It can be extremely isolating. Yeah. But I, I just wanted to make sure that uh, people know that it's not something that a person does to exactly. Um, I, I think themselves depressed. I think uh, I think people are aware of that by now. That uh, depression is a terrible thing, and I think it, it's it's uh, fascinating and encouraging that uh, the researchers are looking for ways to have the brain reset after recovering from a, a depression. Because I I would think that until now. When someone recovers, they just uh, is treatment continued or yes, yeah, so typically yes, yeah, Libby, absolutely. So um, we know that people will oftentimes get worse if you take them off treatment. So you often have to keep them on medication in order to keep uh, them feeling well. And some people just don't do well on medication. So we're uh, starting to look at new ways to help people with uh, depression. So one of the things we're doing at CAMH is using uh, something called, it's a neurostimulation technique. It's, it's, it just involves placing a coil around the head and it actually helps. Uh, you target the area of the brain that is uh, seen to be responsible for causing these symptoms. And with the course of treatment, it's very promising studies that show that it helps people get better. And then the challenge is, of course, helping them stay better. So usually at this point, we're using a combination of medication and or neurostimulation, but so important are are helping people reintegrate in their lives, develop social connection, be active, get exercise, get lots of sleep, and, and make sure one maintains connections with others because a connected person translates into a healthy brain. Okay, Jane in Minnesota, thank you very much for your call. Thank you for taking it. Thanks. Oh, bye-bye. Sheila in, Fen- in Fenelon Falls. Hi, Sheila. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking the call. And uh, my, I'm, I'm very uh, unhappy with the uh, care that psychiatric patients receive um, because I have a granddaughter who is schizophrenic, and she has no fixed address. And when she's discharged from hospital, you know, she goes from one house to another. In fact, she's banned from a few places now. Um, and, and this just isn't right. I think, I believe, her social worker should assure that she has a safe place to live. You, you know, I have to, 
I, I can completely understand where you're coming from. And just for the rest of the listeners, I'll just sort of frame what you're describing. So schizophrenia affects about 1% of our population. It's typically diagnosed in the late teens in men and in about the early 20s in women. And uh, as a geriatric psychiatrist, I see people in late life with schizophrenia. And the same challenges that occur in in the younger years continue through late life. So, you know, families do the best to care for their uh, loved one who has schizophrenia in the early years. And then oftentimes, though, as they age, um, family members themselves are unwell. And so then it creates more challenges. And you're absolutely right. It involves we call it interdisciplinary care, where we need caseworkers, social workers, occupational occupational therapists, and um, in addition to the physicians and nurses. So, you know, for example, I am actually doing my work in on late life schizophrenia, and we've developed two novel interventions for schizophrenia that harness the neuroplasticity. And one of them involves social skills and cognitive behavioral therapy in a combination, and it's been shown to help brains get healthier. And also pairing that with um, cognitive training. Okay. So here I have a question. Sure. Because, because um, uh, I know of a couple of cases here. So older people with schizophrenia, but uh, it is so difficult for a family member to intervene and get treatment and get anything. Amen. And yeah. And... I think, I mean, you know, um, my take is that, you know, back in the, I don't know, in the 50s and 60s or before that, when people were warehoused, the reaction to that was changing the rules and the laws, but it's gone too far. You can't help a loved one with schizophrenia. I mean, I know of people who just kind of, they refuse to be treated and, and, and you throw your hands up and you say, you know, unfortunately, one day, this person, you're just going to find them dead. That's what I'm afraid of. And that's a very real concern. And that's where what you're doing today by increasing awareness is so important because it takes resources to help people. And it takes people being aware. But the law won't allow it. Well, so so here's the thing. You're right. In a sense, we're balancing patient rights with our desire to help. And you're right. We're so stymied, in a sense, by one of the key side effects of having schizophrenia, which is lack of insight. So people who have schizophrenia are, have, can have a great difficulty appreciating that they're sick, and this is very <laughs> yeah. frustrating for family members. And that's not you just unique to schizophrenia. That can occur in, in other severe mental illnesses like bipolar disorder as well. So trying to help people when they're sick with mental illness or not well at their best can be an extreme challenge. So that's where... As a CAMH, what we're doing is we're trying to emphasize the use of a care, interdisciplinary care team. So there's there's one point person, a caseworker, that is working with with that patient, but it's also yeah, but in the milieu the patient, of holistic care. Yeah, but if the patient w- won't take the care, what it, do you do? It's very hard, and you're right. Right now, legally, unless someone, we can demonstrate that someone is posing a material risk to themselves or others, it's difficult that to... That is a very difficult test. Yeah, it is. It's, it's it is. impossible. Yeah. Because you can't... Uh, when police are called, they do what they are allowed to do. You know, uh, they, they call their special team, and uh, they go to hospital, and they're 
released from hospital into the same situation. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just, oh, I, I just don't understand it. And I've wondered for a few years now, what do I do to help this situation? What, how can, I don't see my granddaughter anymore because I can't cope with it. And there's no point in two of us being not <laughs> well so you know, i think that and i hear you and, and and i hear this is this is, a, this is a, a a common complaint i hear from families and it's difficult to access care and that's why it's very important that i think systemically as a society we have enough family doctors who can be in, to be into intimately involved in caring for our, our family members people that we can easily access care to to whom we can go um, and that, you know, frankly, goes right to the front end, which is allowing enough people into medical school. It is, it is okay. very important we have enough people who are actually going through the training to then be there to provide the care. Mm-hmm. And I just want to also just reorient to now the tail end as, as a geriatric psychiatrist. I, we are also now trying to help people stay well with severe persistent mental illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar by trying to ensure that we're looking at what can we do to help this aging person, this aging brain, so that they don't get even more ill. And so that's where there's hope, right? As frustrating as it is, and yes, we this is why fighting back, the theme of today's show is so important. As much as we have frustration, this is bringing awareness to the need for more resources allocated to mental health. Yeah, but what about changing the law? Well, that's... So the thing is, you're right. Like, at some level, we have to look at what do we do to protect our patients when they're ill, but also keep them maintaining their rights when they're well enough. And that's a very delicate balance. It's a very delicate and difficult balance. Um, we have a few minutes left in the show, so uh, people out there, if you want to share your stories of mental illness, perhaps in your families trying to deal with it, the numbers are 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Sheila in Fenelon Falls, who has a granddaughter with schizophrenia, and she can't even see her, and and this young woman has no place to go when she's released from the hospital. Yeah, so you know this is the this is the the risks of having mental illness, and uh, you you uh, it's got very real physical burden, and people are exposed to a risk of substance use when they don't have a strong support network. And uh, then there are also um, medical problems that come with not taking care of oneself. And I think this is why it's so important to, when we look at mental illness, we also look at the entire person. Are they eating? Are they sleeping? Are they uh, getting exercise? And are they supported by a community of caregivers and mental health professionals who can be there as point people when they need it? Okay, let's take a call from Robert in Toronto. Hi, Robert. Hi. How are you? Pretty good. How are you? I'm fine. We I'm have fine. like about a, a minute and a half left, so just uh, just putting that out there at the top. Sure. Okay. Just a quick question for the doctor. Um, my father is 87. Obviously, uh, getting on in years. Um, diagnosed with uh, cognitive dementia, so um, he's uh, his long-term memory is pretty good, uh, but short-term memory, of course, yeah, it's not not the best. But anyways. Um, I come from a big family, and I just find that a lot of my family members are always testing my father, like asking him what day it is, what year it is, and how old he is. Um, I'm just wondering if that's good to be asked, asking those types of questions to him on a regular basis. 
So I can't speak to your dad specifically because I don't know exactly the details of um, how severe his dementia is. In general, it is good to maintain an active mind that's stimulated throughout the course of having a a dementia. And so that includes, like I mentioned earlier, getting enough sleep, getting exercise, eating well, etc. But if someone becomes very, very ill with dementia, very affected, pressuring them and asking them questions they can't answer can be a very frustrating experience for them. Yes, that's what I was wondering. So, uh, so maybe uh, you'll have to gently tell your other uh, family yeah, members to quit doing that. Like twelve of them. The other, like twelve the other of people. them. Okay. <laughs> well, at least there are a lot of people in the caregiving circle. That's uh, that's a good thing. Exactly. That's right. Okay. Thank you very much for your call, Robert. I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. You know, uh, that's all the time we have for this very important discussion. So right now, Dr. Angela Golis, I'm going to invite you back another time and we can resume this discussion that really affects so many of us. I'd be happy to come. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.